and uh, welcome inside the downtown Honolulu Paxis Studios. It is the Sports Animals here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM, 1420 AM as well. I'm Josh Pacheco. Thank you so much for allowing us in. All of our guests, when they appear, they do so courtesy of our hotline. Bill Bender is going to join us from Sporting News in just about 20 minutes. Guess what time it is? It's conference media day time. And uh, we had the Big 12 opened up today. Uh, we got to hear from the new commissioner from the Big 12. And everybody who is not a part of the power conferences are all kind of now in the mood where they have to pay attention to what everybody's saying because they may make the phone calls. They may try to put their resumes out there, see if they'll get noticed. Uh, but you never know if you hear something that might make you believe, okay, maybe we have a chance. Or you hear something from a conference commissioner in public that says, oh, yeah, no, we, uh, we're stuck. We don't have leverage. We have nothing. That's kind of the fun. It's the drama. It's the stress of what the next couple of weeks are going to bring with the conference media days. It was the Big 12 starting off today. Dave Aranda, you know Coach Aranda, formerly of the University of Hawaii football program. He's the head coach at Baylor. He was on earlier on ESPN Radio. And um, he was talking about kind of the shift of where we're going in college football, not just realignment, but this is along the lines of, uh, maybe not along the lines, but something similar to uh, Nick Saban yesterday when he was on a college football podcast and talking about the super conferences being the, the way we're going. Uh, Dave Aranda called what's going on right now in college football, and I quote, an aftermath of power, close quote. Here's the uh, the full quote from uh, Coach Aranda earlier on ESPN Radio. I think this is like the aftermath of power, you know. I think this is after, when you flex your power, this is the aftermath of it. And so I think whether it's, you know, coaches, powerful, money, you know, running guys off teams, you know, hoarding guys, power. I think, you know, the player empowerment is um, is an answer to that. And I think it's partly cause and effect. And then I think, you know, you know all the money in football and all of the kind of the, the funneling of it all. And now there's, you know, there's the realignment. That was, um, well... That was an interesting way of, of putting that all together. And I, and I could tell in listening to Coach Aranda, um, there was a lot of kind of tiptoeing going around. Like, he didn't want to do what Saban did. Remember when Nick Saban uh, basically said, hey, uh, Texas A&M, they are buying all their players, and uh, uh, they're doing it the wrong way. I've never had to do that. We go about it the right way. Remember how that all went down about a month plus, which led to uh, Jimbo Fisher firing back. In listening to Dave Aranda, I kind of felt like I heard Coach wanted to go somewhere deeper there, but then he was just kind of tiptoeing around. Uh, the power. And then you hear him get a little bit deeper. He's, he's wading into the five-foot waters. The hoarding of players. Now he's getting into the six-foot waters. The... You know, the money. And then he realizes he's in too deep, so he's going all the way back to the kiddie pool <laughs> and basically saying, hey, you know, the the power and, and kind of keeping it in general terms. But then 
he also said, and he kind of waded back into the five feet waters when he was talking about, um, in, in, in other terms, power to players, and actually saying that that would that's kind of an answer to what we've been seeing with, as he said, hoarding of players by coaches and uh, the funneling. He used the word funneling. Um, I haven't heard a lot of coaches, especially now, talk about wanting to get power in the hands of, he calls them players, the true definition of what they are, uh, are student-athletes. Because lately, a lot of it from those who are entrenched in the game, the the purists, the old-school guys, a lot of them are more along the lines of we need to keep college football sanctity, right? We can't, you know, the the, the NIL thing is hurting college football and look at all the money that they're getting. And here's Dave Aranda saying, hey, you know, maybe the, the balance to, you know, the, the, the whole power trip, the balance might just be, oh, well, let's give the players more power. You know, why not? Maybe that's maybe that's our answer. And that's where the NIL does kind of come into play to help give some of those players the opportunity to control a little bit of their own destiny. Um, but this, I think, is going to be an interesting time in college football because um, Dave Aranda sums it up best without fully saying it. It's awkward right now. And without all of the realignment, we didn't need a realignment for it to be a little awkward. But without all of that, you know, it is now a, a, a sport where I think we're starting to see a transformation in the sport. There, there are certain times, and I'm not talking about the transformation of play. I'm not talking about the transformation of, of even like the NCAA feel of it. Every once in a while, every sport goes through something that just flushes something out. Sometimes, I mean, we all go through it personally. Something just, you, you go through a phase, and then after that period of time, that phase, you flush something out, you're on to whatever is next. What I believe we're going to have here in the way realignment is working and uh, in the way that the NIL is working and how coaches, I think, no longer have this protection of, well, hey, we're, you know, we're the big-time college coaches. Social media bites the coaches in the backside all the time. Uh, the NIL gives coaches less power than they ever had over these players. You know what's going to happen now, right? Is that this is going to flush out the legacy coaches in college football. Some, some of these guys, they want to stay there for a long time because it's their life. They can't imagine anything without it. They'll go on into a, into a, a, a deep age and just hang on until they realize they just can't anymore. What we're seeing here is what's going to ultimately usher the old guard out of college football sooner than maybe they would want to. So I'm yeah, I'm looking at Nick Saban. Very clearly looking at Nick Saban as as one of them. And any coach that's been around for a long time that is still stuck to their ideals, that is still so stubborn, 
um, and yet so defiant at the same time because Saban is. And this will lead to the new guard of college coaching. I think we're already starting to see it in college basketball. Mike Krzyzewski stepping down at Duke was one of those final pillars of confirming, all right, basketball is now moving on. It's now moving on to the younger coaches who are a little more, uh, they, they are a little more understanding of the system. They understand the players a little bit more. Uh, they're not as abrasive to the idea of NIL uh, that they are willing to adjust and go along with the times. And I think you, you need that out of your coaches and the coaches who coach under them. That is why, to, to bring it back locally, uh, one of the side benefits of Hawaii's hire in Timmy Chang, Hawaii did get younger, uh, just like it did when it hired Nick Rolovich. Hawaii did hire someone that can be relatable to his players and someone who is not, you know, afraid of the current system that actually, as part of a group of five program, can coach and thrive under this new way of recruiting and this new way of where schools fall in conferences. Like, it, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think for some people... They don't want to admit it. Like, for example, Nick Saban will never, never, ever admit that his time in this sport is coming to an end. But it will. Uh, Not necessarily because of his age. He could coach for as long as he wants. But I don't think Nick Saban wants to deal with the way the sport is turning and those like him. And it's the same thing that we've seen in college basketball. You know, Roy Williams a few years ago, Mike Krzyzewski last year, I don't think they want to deal with where this sport is turning. And remember, I shouldn't forget that we already kind of saw this in college basketball in the era of the one and uh, the one and done when freshmen played one year, would then go to the pros, and it was made a big deal. And you had the guys like the Mike Shashevskys and the Lute Olsons at the time that said. Uh, we don't want anything to do with this. We are not going to recruit that way, right? Remember that? Uh, they are going to hold to their ideals. And then what happened? They couldn't. They couldn't because they realized, as stubborn as they were, they knew they weren't going to win national championships. They knew the prestige to their programs would be lost, these blue bloods. They they had to ultimately adjust and kind of fall into the trend of college football recruiting. So when I hear I hear Dave Aranda as someone who's been in, in this sport for a long time, and he is still on the younger end uh, of the successful head coaches in college football, on the one hand, this is, this is an adjustment. This is awkward, seeing realignment, seeing kind of uncertainty in our conference and seeing the way things are moving with television money and, you know, calling it out for what it is, the power and and the greed and the hoarding of players and 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 so on it's uh you could hear his place at the table in that what was it 46 seconds 44 46 seconds whatever that was that told you exactly where Dave Aranda is right now not totally on the old school where it's like oh I'm 
not doing this. I'm abrasive to it. I, I don't like it. You know, welcoming of where we are, yet begrudging of it all at the same time, of what it has done to the sport, also realizing at the same time, can't be closed-minded or you're going to watch the sport pass you by. And that's where uh, where it seems Dave Aranda is. Of course, he's at Baylor. A lot of people like Baylor. Uh, we saw some of the preseason rankings. Baylor expected near the top of the Big 12 Conference. Uh, you should expect to see Texas and Oklahoma and a lot of the usual players in the conversation. And we'll talk about them as we go. In fact, uh, Bill Bender from Sporting News, we talked with him a little while ago. Uh, I asked him, who is the team that we should be paying the most attention to in the Big 12? Uh, I asked him about that. You'll hear it coming up in just under five minutes. We've got to look at surf coming up in just a little while. No surf. You know why there's no surf, right? Because the dude that does the surf report is out surfing and just decided that he's just going to big time us and surf instead. Get it. Let's see how it is. Uh, we hope to get a surf update uh, a little bit later on once we can get him out of the water and get him in front of a microphone to, you know, to do his job. Uh, but coming up next, uh, my conversation with Bill Bender from Sporting News. Uh, look at what we saw earlier today, Big 12 Media Day, and what you should expect uh, when watching the Big 12 on the football field. That's coming up. This is the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Earlier today, Bill Bender from Sporting News joined me. He was on our hotline here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and uh, 1420 AM. And I asked him uh, about what we learned earlier today. We learned uh, we, we got to meet the new commissioner out of the Big 12 Conference. Uh, what did he take away listening to that commissioner uh, in front of the media talking about what everybody's been talking about in uh, conference alignment? Yeah, you know, obviously came out uh, saying the Big 12 is open for business. And a lot's been made about his uh, background with Rock Nation. He, he referenced social media several times, how to do that. And I think he knows the, the challenge. I mean, the SEC and the Big Ten have a lot of the hammers right now and a lot of the power in college football. And whether it means merging with the Pac-12 in some fashion, I mean, they're going to explore all options. And I thought what stood out that he said it was going to be additive and, and not diluted. Uh, so he's really looking to make that conference stronger. Yeah, one of the things I I took away as well is when he kind of mentioned, you know, hey, um, you know, we're we're in a good position. You know, you got a lot of people that are that are talking to us, and it can be very easy in a situation where you're kind of new to this job to to be very reactionary. I I saw a good poise I thought from him uh, in trying to assess this situation, which is very new for him in this role. For sure. And I mean, obviously, Bob Bowles Bob believes a huge hole, and, and that's not easy to fill. But, uh, you know, I think the Big 12 will be fine. And it's got to be tough in this environment where I, Texas and Oklahoma last year, obviously, it was like the biggest move that we can remember in, in recent memory. So, you know, for them to go ahead and power through that, there will be challenges, and it will be tough to keep up with the Big 10 and the SEC. But, no, I think they're in good hands. You know, we've now gone through this conversation, I think, for the last couple of weeks uh, since we learned of the UCLA-USC announcement. I'm, I'm curious from your vantage point as you cover the sport and you hear from, from different schools and, and commissioners and, and everybody in these rules, um, 
from your perspective, how has this evolved in just two weeks' time? Well, I mean, it was a surreal moment. I'm a kid that grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and um, for USC and UCLA to come to the Big Ten, you just shake your head because you know of the, the legendary Rose Bowls, the history between those programs, and everything that they've done from the Los Angeles market. So it, it's a game changer. Uh, and I think our initial reaction was everybody freaked out and oh, all these schools are going to move. Well, I don't think anybody's moving until we figure out Notre Dame. Because Notre Dame holds a lot of leverage in what happens next. Whether they stay in the ACC, whether they go to the Big Ten, whether they try to stay independent, I think that's the next little chip in what is going to happen in realignment. And it's something that we haven't necessarily talked about, and Bill Bender's with us from Sporting News covering college football here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. And I don't remember if this was addressed specifically, but – Having schools that have still yet to come in, uh, which the Big 12 will, will not have for another year, and granted a, a few more schools heading out in Oklahoma and Texas in the next few years, and I know there was somewhat of news on that as he addressed it, that does give you at least the feeling of stability for now that you probably don't feel like you have membership coming in that's looking to bolt before they even step a foot in the door. Right, and... The, the additive dilutive part, right? That you have, uh, you know, Brett Yormark was very clear on that. So, I mean, with Cincinnati, UCF, BYU, I mean, coming in, Houston, those are good schools. And I think, you know, when we get to this super conference idea, you know, to me, is it going to be like 40 to 48 schools and the SEC and the Big Ten just dominate everything? Or is it going to be a reshuffled power five with the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and, and kind of what we have now. And I, I think if you chart out the schools that would be involved, it would be between 66 and 74. 48 might be better for the big brands and the people that want an NFL light, but 74 would be more inclusive. And if the Big 12 can hold their spot in the pecking order, I think that could happen. Let's talk a little bit about the on-the-field brand, which we expect here uh, in the next month and a half. From your perspective, who is the team that we should really be paying attention to in the Big 12? Well, I I mean, it's funny. When you look at the betting odds for who's going to win the conference, I mean, Baylor's the defending champ, and their odds aren't great. They lost a lot of skill position talent. Texas, we always want to buy in on them, obviously, and they're going to be very good offensively with Bijan Robinson. And if Quinn Ewers is who we think he is, but – I would say that the team that's getting undervalued a little bit is the the, stand, the old standby. Uh, Oklahoma with Brent Venables, I think the defense will improve. I think Dylan Gabriel is going to be very good at quarterback. They have a really good supporting cast around him, and their tough ones are at home. They get Oklahoma State and Baylor at home this year. Obviously, the, the Red River rivalry is in the same place as usual. So I think the Sooners are being, I don't want to say slept on, right? But I, I think they definitely are going to have a pretty good football team. That's an interesting way to look at it. Um, I've I've never, and, and granted, I'm not as close to the sport as, as you are every day. Um, I've never always thought from a distance that Oklahoma would be a team that you sleep on. Maybe it's it's uh, you know the coaching changes there at Oklahoma over the last few years maybe puts things into flux. Um, but you would you would think normally the layman might say, okay, well Oklahoma should be in the conversation every year. But that does also go to tell you that. That, that conference is going to be very good this coming year if that's even a thought to sleep on Oklahoma. 
Well, I think the conference is going to be very competitive. I mentioned those three teams. Oklahoma State was a couple plays away from winning the conference last year as their quarterback coming back, and Mike Gundy typically overachieves. And then you could even take it down to like a team like Kansas State with uh, Martinez, a quarterback, the Nebraska transfer, a lot coming back on both sides, and certainly um, a solid program. So, I, I, you know, they may not have a playoff team in this conference, but it's one of those things where it might not be a bad thing because the, the, the league race is going to be very exciting. Lastly for you, since you mentioned Oklahoma, and you mentioned Dylan Gabriel, who uh, I believe already got Newcomer of the Year Award in the uh, Big 12 preseason uh, awards that came out. How do you like that fit of Gabriel working in that Oklahoma offense? Well, if he stays healthy, it's going to be fine. Uh, he's a guy that uh, very efficient, doesn't turn the ball over much, fits that system. Like I said, when you're throwing to Theo Weiss and Marvin Mims, and they're going to have a strong running game. He had a great spring game. Uh, everything you're reading about him, it's been good so far. And it's crazy to think that. I mean, Oklahoma with losing Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams, who were five stars and, and very highly publicized quarterbacks that Dylan Gabriel might just be the right guy to lead them. And I, I think he's going to fit well in there. There'll, there'll be some ups and downs, but um, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be pretty good. Bill Bender. He has uh, all over. He's got college football covered from sporting news. Enjoy big 10 media days next week. And we'll talk to you down the road. Hey, no problem. Thanks so much for having me on. Take care. Got an M. Dyer Global scoreboard coming up in just about 10 minutes. You are listening to the Sports Animals. I'm Josh Pacheco in for the guys. This is ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. By the way, tomorrow morning uh, with Chris Hart and Gary Dickman on the Bobby Curran Show, University of Hawaii Athletics Director David Matlin uh, will be on the program. Certainly, I mean, you've. Well, you're going to hear, you didn't hear yet, uh, Brett Yormark, the, uh, uh, the new commissioner of the Big 12 Conference. We're going to play you a, a bite from him a little bit later on. We played you a little bit of Dave Aranda a short time ago on, on where college football is going. Dave Reardon has a piece in the Honolulu Star Advertiser. If you, uh, if, if you want to give that a read, please do. Uh, not just because it's a good piece to read, but also it's because it's from Dave Reardon. And anything Dave Reardon writes... Uh, is, it's always a quality read. Chang having a winning offseason, but UH football faces a challenging future, which kind of goes along with uh, what I said yesterday, or not yesterday, two segments ago feels like yesterday, apparently. Uh, what I said about 30 minutes ago, uh, in the landscape that is changing in college football, the older school coaches... They're closer to the exit door in this sport. It's the newer school coaches who are going to come in and they're going to understand how to work through NIL. They're going to understand how to connect with players. They're going to understand uh, how to run through a landscape that is very much all about money. And their athletic directors are going to have to do the same thing, you know, and, and I say it's not just coaches. I will say it, we're already seeing it in conference commissioners and the, the kind of people who are leading these conferences. You know, your mark was Rock Nation. George Klyvakov in the Pac-12 was uh, MGM. You know, guys with, with little to no college, uh, college uh, conference leadership experience, but here they are. And... That is where coaching 
I think comes into play for all of those that talked about, and I remember this way back when, for everybody that talked about, oh, you know, Timmy Chang didn't have head coaching experience. Honestly, right now, head coaching experience is is good. Um, you'd love it. But in the age of trying to retain players, retain good players, recruit good players, coaching can be good. But first and foremost, and we're reminded about this when we think of the previous uh, coaching administration, trust. Yes, you need to win games, and I'm not trying to downplay the importance of winning games. I hope people don't take this the wrong way. Um, trust is huge. More than ever now, because maybe seven to ten years ago, the sport was most definitely run by the adults in the room. They were run by those that made a lot of money. Nowadays, uh, the players, as Dave Aranda kind of intimated, they should have more power than the players. Right now, they kind of do. Uh, it may not be to the point where they can 1,000% control their own destiny to a degree. Uh, and when I say that, I mean by controlling how much money they can potentially get because there are some limits on uh, on NIL. But um, you can you can see how much their influence is impactful and how many of them know it. I was just, uh, Tanner, you might have seen this. Tanner Hayworth is working double duty today. I shouldn't know. It's not double duty. It's triple duty today. Tanner is also behind the board in the midday show. I forget what player it was, but you got guys. There's a kid from USC. I think he was hosting a Twitter space. I haven't said that in a while. Was hosting a Twitter space on like his NIL deals. And uh, I think he's supposed to be considered one of those in the sport that is most uh, is is taking the most advantage of the NIL space. You know, this guy from USC and making the most of his visibility, doing the Twitter space thing. He's got his social media. Everybody recognizes. But that player still has to make a choice. And when it comes to making that choice on where to play college football, especially when you know you've got at minimum three years to play it, uh, you're not going pro right away because you can't, that honestly, I don't look as coaching as, as much of the big deal as it is who can you trust being around for three years? It's like the sport is becoming a little bit more like I don't know, an actual job. Like, when you work somewhere, you you want to work where your skills are going to be put to, to a great test. You want to work somewhere where you can succeed. But, you know, in, in a competitive landscape where you feel like there are multiple places where you could do the same thing that may pay you some good money, um, you want to trust the person you work for, right? Uh, if you can't trust the person you work for, and you go to work miserable every day because you're not trusting, um, you're constantly defeated and demoralized, how long are you going to end up being there? Probably not for very long because you just can't stand being there. And for a while, even before the, the, the transfer portal, 
because the transfer portal has changed this game too. I mean, uh, transfer portal got a bad rap for a little while, but it was the fact that look the um, the the coaches had all the power. They could treat these players how they wanted to, run things how they wanted to. You know, these player, these student athletes, early days, then going to class, film study, all of that stuff, and and not a lot of free time for themselves. And of course, we already know about the pay structure way back when. You didn't really have much of a a chance to kind of, you know, change your future and change your situation. And when you did at the time, and I think some people still hold the stigma, when you had the opportunity to change your future, you didn't trust the person who was coaching you, etc. The player was the one who was given kind of the black eye for it because, well, it's the player's fault, right? Um, They can't handle adversity. They can't handle being in a situation where maybe they're not playing as much. Uh, the, The adult who made the most money in the room was the one that many times was the one getting the benefit of the doubt. And that's not always how it should work. So nowadays, transfer rule and uh, you know, guys have been able to transfer freely. The, the transfer tracker on websites like D1 Baseball and other places are just loaded and loaded and loaded with student athletes who want to go somewhere else. And it could be for multiple reasons. But how do you keep student athletes? It's not necessarily about being the – I mean – you should know wins and you should know X's and O's. You should be able to, well, for lack of a better term, um, not be a Von Oppen. But you also, as importantly, if not more, you need to be able to build trust. And you can't really be a bully to players like a lot of people were in the past. And that's where. Timmy Chang, as someone who has who not that long ago was in this situation, and I say not that long ago, it's not like it was five years ago. I realized it was a little bit longer, but I think you get my point. Uh, connects with these student athletes a little bit more. I think you will eventually see the inroads in recruiting. That is where your success will ultimately ju- be judged by. It's going to be judged by who comes in because it will tell you how much they trust you and how many of them leave. How many of them leave many times says, again, either one of two things. A, they didn't like they weren't getting much playing time. Or B, good player. There might have been some stuff behind the scenes. They didn't trust you. You didn't trust them. Whatever it is, trust trust factor was gone. They're out. I mean, look at how many players from last year and I don't think we need to read between the lines so much as to why that all happened. Uh, all it took was one Senate committee hearing, I think, to let a lot of things out for people to understand why there was so much movement from last year's University of Hawaii football team. And that's where I believe coaches like Timmy Chang, younger coaches who are able to maybe bridge that communication gap and understand some of these student-athletes a little bit more I think have a a great opportunity. I should also mention too that um, those that have stayed in the game and have still been successful 
should get some credit here, too. Nick Saban is still winning games, even with massive coaching turnaround. Um, even though he is still the curmudgeon he is, but he's competing for national championships. He is older, and he is still somehow barely hanging on in the system. And I say barely by losing national championships. But he is still there in a system that is every day getting farther and farther away from him. And we have to, at times, give the credit that is deserved to him and coaches like him that are surviving in a system that really is not for them to survive in. Got to look at Sports Center coming up in just a little while, about 11 minutes. I'm Josh Pacheco. You're listening to the Sports Animals here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 14:20 AM. Our text line is open. It is the Zephyr Insurance text line at 808-296-1420. Uh, you can call us at uh, 808-296-1420. Send us your tweets at Sports Animals. You can get to me at Josh on the radio. I was shocked. Uh, I was in the other room this morning when I was uh, I was listening to the Bobby Curran show, which was hosted by the Sports Animals. And they were referencing the all-Mountain West order of finish. I had, I had noticed that. And um, I had noticed that when they brought up the order of finish, I think they had uh, Hawaii in fifth in the West Division. And I recall that uh, I heard Gary Dickman say, well... I hope this means we prove them wrong. That was really the only reaction to Hawaii being fifth in the Mountain West West Division preseason poll was, I hope we prove them wrong. No uh, no hot take, no here's why they're wrong, or here's why we are being undervalued, or I don't know, here's a, here's a take. No. Emotion. If you're wondering, uh, as we get ready for uh, Mountain West Media Day, it's been a long day today. Getting ready for Mountain West Media Day is next Wednesday and Thursday from the uh, from the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. They also did put out the uh, the all conference teams. Uh, and and by the way, there's um, there's an interesting side note to it because I happened to notice yesterday from one of the beat writers who covers, I think it's Boise State, the preseason all-conference teams we won't find it out until we get to um we get to vegas but um some of the media members apparently got their ballots already and this is bj rains from uh from boise and he noted that there were four quarterbacks who were nominated for preseason all-conference at that position four now, there's been a lot of turnaround of that quarterback position, sure. But uh, one of them that was not named, which was kind of surprising, was Hank Bachmeyer, the quarterback at Boise State. And you would have thought, I, I don't know that I would have said Bachmeyer would have been, you know, my all-conference first-team quarterback of choice. But in a, in a conference where there is quite a bit of turnaround at the QB position, 
that Bachmeyer was not even selected by his team because you have to be nominated. Boise State didn't even nominate Bachmeyer to be on the all-conference list. It's it's either something's up with Bachmeyer that we don't know about, or uh, this is the old chip on the shoulder. We're not going to let people give you any respect, so you're going to have to earn it on the field. You know, they they think that works going back to, you know, decades ago because they think that's the stuff that the kids care about. No, no, no. They, they, they care about how many followers they have on their Twitter. Uh, not necessarily whether they've been nominated for first team all, uh, all Mountain West at quarterback. But anyway, the order of finish that was put out, uh, Boise State was projected to finish at the top of the Mountain Division. Uh, 83 points, 11 first place votes. Air Force had four first place votes. Then Utah State, Wyoming, Colorado State, and New Mexico. And again, this is from Mountain West Wire. This is not officially from the Mountain West. So you're going to hear something completely different probably next Wednesday when uh, when media day is open. And then in the West Division, Fresno State projected to finish at the top of the West Division. You had San Diego State, San Jose State at three, Nevada at four, Hawaii at five, UNLV at, at six. Uh, the difference between Hawaii and UNLV at the bottom is a total of 12 points. Kind of bunched up at the top, not so much at the bottom. And so uh, when all you hear on the take is, oh, well, I hope we prove them wrong. Well, first off, let's understand why they're projected to finish fifth in the West Division. They're projected to finish fifth in the West Division is because there is still a, a modicum of trust that this program has to earn from those who cover the conference. It means nothing at the end of the day. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and insinuate to you that this means everything. It, it doesn't. Uh, but there is a reason why, even with a, a new coaching staff, that still you have a number five right next to your name in divisional projection. And there is a reason why Hawaii was projected somewhat lower last year. And, oh, by the way, for those that got upset last year because they felt like, oh, Hawaii gets no respect. Well, where did Hawaii finish last year? I still remember that from last year. I think, I think there's a criticism of Athlon Sports. And uh, Athlon Sports has proved right about four or five months later. You don't read into it, but at the same time, there is kind of a reason why they continue to do it because many times they are right. Hawaii does have some proving to do. And I think that's, for me, the most interesting thing about year one with Timmy Chang is that the expectations are low. Uh, I think the questions at quarterback are real. Uh, Braden Shager should be the incumbent with that job, but is it going to be him? I mean, we may not learn that until early August. We may not learn that until late August, frankly, uh, before that Vanderbilt game. Uh, there are a lot of questions that have to be answered. And, you know, a coaching staff that has a lot to prove and I think is is game to prove it. And look at everybody above. Like, you know, for, for all those people who look at that and say, oh, well, we hope he proved him wrong. Or who get flabbergasted and annoyed as to why Hawaii's fifth. Well, answer, why should Hawaii be above Nevada or San Jose State or San Diego State or Fresno State? I mean, San Jose State is banking on 
a really good last couple of years and banking on Brent Brennan and what he's done in this offseason. Of course, the question is whether Chevin Cordero will be the starting quarterback at San Jose State. I haven't seen if if uh, he's going to be among the players going from San Jose State to Las Vegas. I don't I don't know if he is. San Diego State has always I mean has always been very tough, especially on the defensive end, new stadium, but on the field, San Diego State has been one of the more consistent teams in the division. And Fresno State brings back its offensive weapons. Even with a new coach who's a veteran, Hayner's back. And it's uh, really hard to hate on Hayner and Florida State when they have probably some of the best production coming back from last year. So it's going to be an uphill climb, and I think people see that. But that's where going into year one with Timmy Chang, expectations somewhat low understandably so look at the top of that division i think it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out when you're having so much fun you forget to turn back the on button on your microphone to finish out your update it's happened to all of us all the time it happens to us uh and that happened to our sports center update uh, i'm josh pacheco in for the guys you are listening to the Sports Animals. This is ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Great to have you in. All of our guests, when they appear, they do so courtesy of our hotline. Sorry, couldn't help but laugh. Uh, got extra innings baseball, which ends in a walk-off wild pitch. Uh, in front of me, Marlins over the Pirates, 5-4 to four in 10 innings. And in the most awkward way, uh, winning run comes home. Doesn't slide into home plate. Doesn't sprint across home plate. Just kind of like awkwardly slows down and barely touches home so he doesn't get hit by a baseball. Uh, that's a way to win things in, in extra innings. What have you had today? We've had that. We've had uh, interim manager in Toronto today get his first major league win after uh, their manager was uh, uh, was let go earlier today there in Toronto. And baseball also making news because the unvaccinated are still making news in baseball with one team heading to Toronto and uh, missing 10 guys because uh, they are all unvaccinated. Those are uh, baseball's headlines, along with the home run derby. We were talking earlier about the Mountain West as we get ready for Mountain West Media Day. Uh, you can reach out to us. Our Zephyr Insurance text line is at 808-296-1420. You can call us at 808-296-1420. And uh, you can tweet us at Sports Animals, at Josh on the radio. We were giving you the order of finish that they had listed for the uh, Mountain West according to the Mountain West Wire. It's not the official one. The official one should come out next week, Wednesday. They did also have the first team all-conference that they put out there uh names you might know uh really well none uh on the uh first teams i mean you got i and i say none i mean none on the hawaii end from their selections and again i think you can kind of understand given uh the turnaround from last year maybe the name that is most recognizable uh i see kalanohi kaniho from uh, from Boise State, who was there at the uh, cornerback position, but uh, Vili Fehoko, uh, who is at San Jose State at defensive end, those are the some uh, some of the names that uh, kind of stand out to me there. But other than that, uh, you look at where the Mountain West could be won or lost this year. 
and I look no further than the one-two punch of Jake Hayner and Jalen Cropper. To me, I, I we've talked so much about the Mountain West and how Boise State has always been kind of the team that has run it. Um, I think Fresno State might be the team to beat in the Mountain West this year. And I look at that connection of Hayner and Cropper as one of the big reasons why. I think big thing, and hey, we we watched Fresno State here earlier this year. Um, They've got to protect him. They've got to keep him healthy, but they've got a veteran coach coming back. They've got, uh, I, I think, in a in a sport that requires you, I think, to have a dominant quarterback-wide receiver tandem. Look through that conference, and you won't find many that I think are as reliable as what Fresno State will put together this year if they stay healthy. And uh, and and their schedule, the way it lines up, I mean, their their toughest uh, toughest dates in conference, Boise State on the road, uh, you know, but they've got San Jose State at home, they've got San Diego State at home. Those are the two teams that are expected to finish below them in the uh, West Division, according to the Mountain West Wire standings. You've got Hawaii at home. Depends how you feel if you, you know, how much of a rivalry you view Hawaii and Fresno State. Those are the three of your toughest opponents in division are at home. And then, as I mentioned, Boise State. Uh, They will test themselves. I am curious to see how they look against Oregon State. They've got Oregon State at home. Uh, They're at USC. They're at UConn. Uh, Cal Poly, by the way, uh, which is an FCS program, uh, we know them in the uh, in the Mountain West. I'm sorry, the Big West. Uh, they're now celebrating what, 50 years as a, as a football program. Uh, that's a fairly nice stadium they have. I don't. It, you you've never been to Cal Poly Stadium. I don't I don't think it's on the way to Baggett Stadium, which is their baseball stadium. It's like right on the right side. It's uh it's used for soccer and it's used for football, but. Uh, um, and it's not bad. It's not like a huge venue. I'd say, oh gosh, how many can you fit in that stadium in Cal Poly? I mean, it can't be more than. It's not like a multi-level stadium. Um, it, it's a single level, a little bit bigger than what Hawaii has currently at the uh, at the Clarence T. C. Ching Athletics Complex. I'm trying to think what the size of that Cal Poly venue is, though, and that's a uh, Alex Spano Stadium is is what it's called, and uh, yeah, I think what is what is the attendance number on it? They have it at eleven thousand and seventy five, and it's I mean honestly, it's not much more than what we have. It's uh, a a little a little wider uh, I think on the sidelines, and uh, it's it's a little deeper in the end zones. But other, it's it's eleven thousand seventy five, uh, and that's with sky boxes and chairback seating and bleacher seating. And driving by it and and seeing it a few times while when I was there a couple of years ago, uh, not a bad looking venue at all. I don't know why 
the Fresno, you know, Fresno State playing Cal Poly got me to that. Um, but you know, we we pay attention to venues and their fifty years, and uh, they've got a pretty good venue that they've got. And oh, by the way, on campus. Uh, it should also be noted, though, where it is on campus makes a difference. For all those people that talk about stadiums and and uh, you know our stadium, and how they say, well, yeah, it should stay on campus. It's not just about making something on campus, but it's where you are on campus and what space you have to uh, to make it on campus. It's not uh, it's not as simple as you think. Text her into our Zephyr Insurance text line at 808-296-1420. Text her from the 797. Boise is a has-been. All right, now if you're trying to start fighting words towards uh, the team that commands the most money in the Mountain West Conference, then you have started it. <laughs> by saying that Boise is a has-been. Um, I wouldn't go that far to call Boise as a has-been. I think the correct way I would put it is that Boise is not the is not the bully in the room. I don't think Boise anymore can just simply say, oh, um, you know, we command uh, if, if we had to do this all again go back to uh when boise state nearly left and uh and and look at how they came back and how we allowed them to come back if we took this version of boise state not the version of boise state was it four five six years ago i don't know it's been a while and do that same deal over again, would you? Like, this version of Boise State is not worth getting every road and home game in conference guaranteed to be on national television. And this version of Boise State is not necessarily worth getting more money out of the television deal than everybody else does. And we should be grateful, I I realize we shouldn't be biting the hands that feeds us, which is the Boise state hand that has helped to elevate the television contract and give a little stability to the mountain West conference. I shouldn't be that mean, but um, this version of that team does not justify what the conference did to bring them back many years ago when the big East folded. And honestly, as much as Boise state's not the same, um, we kind this conference kind of needs somebody to stand up for a while and be not the bully. That's such a negative connotation, and I'm guilty for using it on Boise. But I know a lot of people probably feel the same way in using it. Um, bully maybe isn't the word, but uh, the alpha in the conference, which Boise has been. Every group of five, if you don't have competitiveness near the top of your conference where you have consistently one, two teams that, you know, toward the end of the year, they're always playing for a shot at the conference title or in, in an instance where you have your conference championship and it's the same team every year out of each division. You have consistently, let's say, Boise State versus San Diego State for the Mountain West title, and you have that two, three, four years in a row. You know, if you have that, great. You've got a couple of schools that you know – going up against one another, you know what you got there. Uh, but in a situation where it's really just one, when that one school starts to deteriorate just a little bit, 
and it's you know a a a, a pick 'em sometimes after that of well who's going to be the team that is the best in the Mountain West when it's not Boise that's a bad sign. Tanner, you said something. Uh, you can you can just say it. As of late, you think San Diego State, but maybe them, or you think they belong in that conversation? I think they belong in the conversation. They still got a. I mean, they did, you know, go ahead and make it to the Mountain West Championship game uh, last year. And Brady Hoke, I think, has been doing a pretty good job with the Aztecs. Yeah, they get the brand new Snapdragon Stadium, and right now, I think. They're kind of killing it in the recruiting game. They got the transfer from Virginia to hopefully finally maybe have a quarterback for the Aztecs. It'll be the first time in (laughs) probably my lifetime that a quarterback has been at least good for the Aztecs. So you're saying uh, San Diego State's offense is evolving past the point in time where you wore leather helmets? Uh, slightly, slightly. <laughs> I mean, they do have really good receiver talent. Uh, Jesse Matthews, the guy who wears number 45. Yeah. I don't, I feel like every year they have a wide receiver that wears the most unconventional number. Hey, you can't do it in the NFL, so you might as well do it here. Right. But like I said, and then that defense has been elite for so long. It's your hybrid wide receiver, tight end slash fullback guy. Wearing the number 45. But no, you're right. The The defense has been the biggest part as to why San Diego State has been able to hold itself up, hold itself up for so long because the passing game certainly hasn't. Uh, the running game has been phenomenal. That if you have, uh, as you're talking about, if you can add that very good quarterback level to a good running game, yeah, San Diego State could be poised for something good for a little while. But I can't put them there yet just because, okay, they made it to the Mountain West Conference title game last year. Yeah, the stadium's coming. But I need to see three years of consistent San Diego State success to say, all right, we have found our new Boise. Um, Until then, it is just, all right, Boise's okay. Uh, Okay. Uh, But we're all just here sitting and waiting and hoping that uh, uh, someone else is going to pick up the slack and become that dominant, consistent team in the Mountain West. That's the bad sign. I mean, hey, the American, UCF was consistently good. Cincinnati, too bad they're leaving. Um, But at least you had that. You had top 25 schools consistently. Boise State's not in the top 25. Maybe San Diego State is there. But it's it's a maybe. It's not a it's not a for sure when that does happen. At least Fresno for this year will be in top twenty five talks. You think so? Yeah, with Hayner. Okay. I yeah. think a lot of people have Hayner as that group of five Heisman dark horse because I feel like every year they have to have someone from the group of five because mm-hmm. without with Dylan Gabriel, you know, transferring to Oklahoma, that was everyone's. Go to for the Heisman Dark Horse for a while there. Yeah, but I, I think so. Jake Hayner, especially off of his, you know, really amazing progression that he made last year, you know, despite a loss to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if they keep making that step forward and he finally gets to be with the coach that he wanted to be with in the first place in uh, uh, Tedford, yeah, I think Tedford. there's going to be a lot of good magic there alongside Hayner. Mims, their running back is awesome. We could probably just oh yeah go on about all the 
great weapons that the Bulldogs have. And, and that's and that's why, going back to what I said earlier, I think Fresno State is the team to beat in the Mountain West because I don't know that anybody else is going to be able to boast that kind of productivity. Not even Boise. Uh, they couldn't even nominate their quarterback for uh, uh, all-conference first team. Texter says, uh, never bet anything that is San Diego, including pro teams. Don't tell that to Tiff Wells, the uh, uh, the the unabashed San Diego Padres fan who also uh, disowned the San Diego Chargers when they left San Diego and went to L.A. Like I said, don't tell him that. Um, by the way, the four quarterbacks, if I recall correctly, and, and I think B.J. Reigns did put it on his uh, on his Twitter, the four quarterbacks that were listed in uh, in the Mountain West media poll. Here it is. Hazik Daniels from Air Force. Clay Millen from Colorado State. Jay Kaner from Fresno State. You gave me a look on Clay Millen. Clay Millen from Colorado State. Jay Kaner from Fresno State. Logan Bonner from Utah State. So, again, the teams have to um, nominate their players. So, obviously, Hawaii did not nominate a quarterback. Obviously, Boise State did not nominate a quarterback. Now, I'm not saying Hawaii should have nominated a quarterback because there's a question as to who to start. So when you're in that situation, then you don't nominate anybody. Um, Sandy, uh, San Jose State did not nominate a quarterback, which means Chevin Cordero was not nominated for it. Read between whatever lines you want to read on that as to whether that actually matters. Uh, but that's it. Four quarterbacks were nominated on that list. Now, if I want to read between those lines, that should mean two things for me. A, if Fresno State does not have the best offense by the end of this season, something will have gone uh, horrendously wrong there. And B, this might be a Mountain West season that could be driven by defense. Uh, as good as Fresno State is, uh, and I think Fresno State is the class of this conference overall, but if that can be a, a good team like a San Diego State, how many good defenses are there in this conference that would thwart a good offense like Fresno State? Uh, and right uh, how how many can you really name right now? There aren't many. San Diego State is one. Um, I think you have to put Boise in the picture because you have to give you have to give their defense some respectable credit. After that, it's hard. That's really hard. Our text line open at 808-296-1420. That's the Zephyr Insurance text line. You can uh, call us at 808-296-1420. Tweet the program. Uh, we are at Sports Animals. You can get to me at Josh on the radio. Uh, that should be it. I, I think that might be the challenge that we'll put to the text line today is, all right, name me, name me a defense in the Mountain West this year that shuts down Fresno State. Because uh, Hawaii's defense certainly saw a lot lost from last year. And that's going to be it's gonna be a, a, a difficult climb this year. But who has that defense that could, uh, that could maybe turn the conference based on the way that side of the ball performs? You can text in at 808-296-1420. That's the Zephyr Insurance text line. Spending a lot of time on uh, Mountain West football. Trying to keep people from uh, from getting too too emotional 
over uh, Hawaii being fifth in the West Division, according to the Mountain West Wire poll. Uh, texter from the 798. This is Trey. I'll put in a vote for best defense based off a quick search. <laughs> I test Trey. I'm a I'm a I test guy because sometimes stats don't lie. And Trey says, no emotion. Thank you, Trey. Boise State and or Air Force is who he gives on his no emotion Google-based defensive quick search in the Mountain West. Yeah, Boise State, you'd have to put there, I think, every year, Boise State defensively, um, you expect at the beginning of the year that Boise State defensively should be as good as they are, uh, as good as they come in the conference. It's then, it's uh, uh, Air Force is the question mark. I like Air Force offensively. I, I like the tricks. I, I love everything that Air Force is. But I don't ever really worry about Air Force playing in a 55-52 game. So, I don't know. Defense isn't something that I really think about in, in strong terms with Air Force. But uh, appreciate the thought coming in from Trey. Daryl texted. We were uh, talking about Jake Hayner earlier. I think Jake Hayner, um, probably preseason Mountain West Coach of the Year. Or Coach of the Year. Quarterback of the Year. Um Daryl says, Hainer makes dumb decisions and they will implode because of it. I mean, Hainer's not perfect. I get it. But I don't think I don't think it's that bad if he implodes. I, I think he's learned a little bit from last year. I don't, I don't, I think he, he's gonna have a lot better year than he did last year. Let's say hi to John. John, thank you for calling in. How are you? Hey, how you doing? Good. Hey, you know, um, uh, I want to preface my statements by I like Timmy Chang. I like all the stuff he's doing, the culture that he's bringing to Hawaii. But uh, you know what? Last year, everybody was offended, like, how we got picked and what happened. We came in that that same place. But uh, I think that the the program's going to be going in the right direction, but it's going to take a couple years to, uh, like, to build it. And if you think, like, it's going to, like what happened with the first year that June Jones was here uh, is going to happen, I think you're, um, you know, kind of dreaming. But uh, – I, I just kind of think that uh, Hawaii's moving in the right direction, but it's going to take some time, like to uh, to get to where uh, people want to be. That's all. That's all I got to say. No, you're right. Uh, it is going to take some time, and, and thank you for the call. I appreciate you listening. Um, that's why when when people got offended last year over uh, the Athlon Sports projected Mountain West order of finish, it. Oh, was it was it Lindy's? I thought it was Athlon. Either way, I mean, I think they both had them the same place anyway. Um, people got offended over it, like uh, like something terrible happened. Like, no, it's a projected order of finish, which is understandable. It is going to take time, and I think callers like John, and I think are are right in the fact that it it does take a little bit of time, and you have to have patience. And really, in an impatient world, uh, you still have to find a way to have that patience. I know it's very tough right now. The way uh, the way college sports is going, but with a new staff, you got to have some time to try to you know let that all work out. Great to have you in on this Wednesday afternoon. It is the Sports Animals. I'm Josh Pacheco. You're listening to ESPN Honolulu. We are at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. All of our guests, when they appear, they do so courtesy of our hotline. We had. Uh, uh, Bill Bender from Sporting News a little while ago. We've been spending a lot of time here in the last several segments on uh, the, the Mountain West 
as we start to ramp up toward Mountain West Media Day, instead of just caring so darn much about how people view us, like we're high schoolers caring about our status when we roam the halls and head to our lockers, um, just having... Yeah, that, that cut deep for me a little bit. Um, just, you know, caring a little bit more about, well, how could this all look based on how people see it? Uh, how people see Fresno State? How Boise State doesn't even see Hank Bachmeyer as quarterback that can be nominated for the top of, uh, uh, of the Mountain West. We'll get back into that coming up in just a little while. Of course, uh, also today... The uh, Big 12 opened up its media days, and we got to hear for the first time from the new commissioner of the uh, Big 12 conference, or at least starting August 1st, Brett Yermark, who uh, is walking into really a, a scenario in which no new commissioner should want to walk into. That is not knowing whether the uh, the people you are working with now will still be there in 2025. We know two of them won't. That's uh, Oklahoma and Texas. And he said there is the chance that Oklahoma and Texas could find their way out before 2025 and onto the SEC in 2024. There is that chance. Um, but Oklahoma even said they don't think they have enough money for the buyout to uh, to get out of the Big 12 and onto the SEC, which is exactly why you're leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC. You don't have the money for a buyout. You're going to go to a conference that's going to give you the television money that will get you there in the instance you ever need a buyout again, which you uh, shouldn't. If you're, uh, if you're going to the SEC, you're hoping that that's your landing spot for a long time. But I took away from Brett Yormark earlier, uh, someone that is... Honestly, not all that stubborn. That's hard to be in this space. Um, you know, a guy like Bob Bowlesby. Remember, remember Bob Bowlesby when uh, the whole Texas Oklahoma thing was happening, and uh, and and Bob Bowlesby was getting all mad at ESPN because ESPN he felt was behind Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big Twelve to go to the SEC. Remember that? I mean, he was taking ESPN almost nearly to court. The thing was, ESPN was also a member. It was a television partner of the Big 12. Uh, yeah, the Big 12. As I hear you are throwing your television partner under the bus because you're losing Texas and Oklahoma, and as you speak every word you speak, the only thing that I have filtered through my head is, I know why they're leaving. It's not it's not that hard. Bob Bowlesby, a little stubborn, um, kind of set in his ways. And Bob Bowlesby. This new guy comes in. I mean, we've only known him now today, pretty much. But comes off to me as very diplomatic when he says, hey, maybe there's the chance that Oklahoma and Texas are out. Uh, before 2025, it's something that we could continue to talk about and have a dialogue on. You know, I, I see that as uh, awfully gracious because a lot of the old guard, they're probably not wanting that at all. They want every year of the rights of Oklahoma and Texas that they possibly can get. And uh, I don't blame them. 
because Oklahoma and Texas, they are the, uh, the bellwethers of that conference. They are the ones that when football season comes around, what's the game that you pay attention to more than any other game in the Big 12? And don't start with me, but if you answer with Kansas versus Iowa State, I will reach my hand around. You know what I mean. I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna turn that car around. The only acceptable answer is not Texas Tech and Kansas State. Thanks, Tanner. The only acceptable answer is Oklahoma and Texas. And when your two most notable schools are are leaving, I mean, you want their rights to the very last day you have them. So it's it's honestly kind of admirable hearing Brett Yormark in in his shoes, just kind of you know leaving all options open. This is Brett Yormark earlier today uh, on ESPN Radio. Uh, he believes his conference is more stable than ever. I mean, yes, I think we have to be aggressive. We've got to make sure we have the right story to tell. And, you know, as, as I said earlier today also, we got to be in the storytelling business. Yeah. And we have to constantly tell that story, whatever that story is. And tell it enough where people start believing it. And it, and it really resonates. And we're doing that right now. We've got a great story to tell. Um, we're, we're more stable than we've ever been. I think Bob did an incredible job with the added schools last year. We went from five to eight markets. Geographically, we've expanded. We've got great programs coming in. We're as unified as we've ever been as a collective group. I saw that when, you know, during the interview process with the chancellors and presidents, and I'm seeing it every day with the ADs. So I'm feeling really good about where we are today. And my job is to tell that story and, and get people to want to be a part of it. You know, he almost had me hook, line, and sinker on that story until I realized, but Texas and Oklahoma are still leaving, aren't they? And then I realized, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a great story for now up until you get to that point. But his, I mean, his point is, is true. I don't believe the Big 12 is as stable as ever, as ever, but I think they are more stable than a lot of people think they are because of what he said, because it's not like they're losing schools right now. They are gaining schools that haven't yet stepped foot in that conference. And it's not like... I'll reference what we referenced earlier with Boise State when you know, you're expecting to join a conference. That conference all of a sudden uh, no longer exists, and now you've got to go go back, tail between your legs, and try to go back to the Mountain West. It's not like that anymore. That they're coming to the Big 12. Nobody's taking Cincinnati away from the Big 12. Nobody's poaching Cincinnati. The Big Ten's not. The SEC's not. The SEC's staying put. Staying put. Um, the Pac-12 is not poaching BYU away. And BYU is not going to retreat back to the independence hole. They're not. Um, that's all going to happen, regardless of whether Texas and Oklahoma leave in 2024 or 2025. And this isn't like, it, it's it's not like going shopping and then realizing you're in day number 29 of your return policy and you need to go uh, back to the store and return your goods because you've been forgetting for a while and you realize you don't want it anymore. It doesn't work that way. You know, um, he, ha he is right in that regard. There is stability that I think the Big 12 has. That's good for now. 
I don't know that it has see you can tell that story for two, three, four. You could tell that story probably until about twenty twenty eight. Because I I think after twenty twenty five we'll get another one of those pauses. And we'll go with what we have with the Big Ten and whatever many teams, the SEC staying at 16. And then whatever happens between now and I think the end of December, we'll figure out where the Pac-12 and, and the ACC sit. Um, how they view their conference size, how the Pac-12 views maybe being 10 teams or, or being in some sort of uh, of alliance. Then I think in 2030, then you start, then you tell the story. Is this the same story? Or are we writing something new? Are you adding more schools? Are you in some kind of strategic alliance? What are you doing? For now, yeah, you do have a consistent story to tell. But hearing Brett Yormark say that brings me back to what I think we we always have to try to do and not get – I mean, you get caught up nationally because you have to. Um, what's happening nationally is going to affect things locally to some kind of trickle-down effect. What's the Mountain West story? Brett Yormark believes he's got a, a really good children's book that you could read to your kids at night about the Big 12. You know, Texas and Oklahoma leaving, but you can you can sleep good at night knowing that you still got people coming in. So what's the story that the Mountain West has to tell? We'll talk about that coming up. By the way, on to extra innings between the uh, Yankees and the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, tied at six, going to the 10th. That's on our sister station, CBS 1500, Hawaii's information station. Uh, meantime here, telling the story of the Mountain West uh, as we get closer to really being all football all the time as uh, many of these shows uh, start to take on because, as we know, football is king in, uh, in our world. And um, we heard the commissioner of the Big 12 say, hey, we've got a great story to tell. You know, we, uh, we've got stability. We've got some schools in. We've got a, uh, got a great footprint, you know. Uh, we've just got to be able to tell that story. And it's an interesting way to put it. I think some people don't understand that sometimes. All they see sometimes is, uh, is money, which money does talk quite a bit. Um, but to some, the footprint is still important, and to some, the story as to what makes you stand out can lead to that bigger picture. And and when he, and I should say, too, when, when Brett Yormark talks, talks about telling the story, telling the story is not necessarily to a school. I, I should make that pretty clear. When you're telling a story, you're telling a story to Fox. You're telling a story to ESPN. You're telling a story to CBS. You're telling a story to Amazon Prime Video or to, uh, to Netflix or to NBC because they're the ones that are going to send the money. So you have to tell them the story that is uh, beneficial to you getting the, uh, getting the money you want out of them. And, and that's why storytelling is so important. So what is the Mountain West's story? And um, that one's a little harder. You know, obviously, the Mountain West is not a Power Five conference, so it starts there. It's a it's a group of five conference. Um, I have said several times I I'm not a big fan of the Mountain West television deal, but um, how would I describe the Mountain West's story? If I if I had to be Craig Thompson 
and deliver that to a bunch of television executives who wanted to make decisions on, um, you know, hey, we'll take some of your games and we'll we'll put them on TV or we'll put them behind a paywall or we'll put them on streaming, whatever it is. The Mountain West's story is that, A, it covers a large footprint, but not an obscure footprint. Uh, you know, and, and if you're a television executive, it's not sexy. By, and I'm not going to pretend to tell you that it is. Um, but you you don't have L.A., but you've got San Diego. You don't have San Francisco. You don't, you know, you, you don't have the best of the Northern California market, but you got Fresno. You dip into Colorado. Um, you know, you, you dabble here and there. Again, there aren't great names, but there are names. And, uh, you know, you can tell that story. You can tell the story of being the BCS busting conference. Remember Boise State? And this is why I know everybody hates hearing about it, but you still have to, if you're going to tell the story begrudgingly, your story does ultimately in its first couple of paragraphs start with Boise State. Uh, we were the conference that said it was possible to be a big, to beat a big name on the big stage. Just ask Boise State. And you could also say we are the conference of opportunity. It's the conference of we're around, around the big television markets, but not entirely hitting the, the, the biggest television markets. We, we are around. We have done it. And we have opportunity. Those are the three chapters. Now, let me give you the opportunity part. The opportunity part is, and this is more than just football, understand that when I'm, we're writing these conference stories, when you're telling these stories, op, you know, football's not the only thing, but we, we say opportunity. Um, look at a Hawaii and the opportunity that it has been given in this Mountain West Conference when it was cast aside in the old whack, opportunity. Opportunity for an investment. Um, you know, I think of, of UNLV. If UNLV were in a worse situation, do you have a lot of Fertitta money rolling in um, for a lot of uh, what they have on campus? I think UNLV is, is a lot more of a viable name right now because of where it sits. UNLV is a much more viable name now because uh, it's in a, a really good market, but it's in a competitive conference, even though it's terrible in it, in football. But they're competitive in a lot of other things. And they're visible. Every time you watch the NBA Summer League, where are you watching games being played? It's at the Thomas and Mack Center at UNLV, or it's next door in the Cox Pavilion, where, I mean, the Cox Pavilion is basically their practice gym, uh, but you can get some seating in there. Uh, they do have an area above that where you can, uh, they not like a bar, but uh, there's there's like, like bar-type seating, um, high table-type seating, um, kind of a nice area up there. Uh, you see games in there. UNLV is visible. It's a, a visibility I don't think they would have gotten if not being in this Mountain West. And it's an opportunity in this conference 
where look at basketball and the amount of teams that are competitive and get to the NCAA tournament in that sport and an opportunity. I, I look at a, a, a UNLV, you know, playing games in a minor league ballpark and, um, you know, getting national attention for all the runs that they score, you know, opportunity. When you tell the story, you always have to remind yourself that you can say a lot of good things about what you've done. You can say a lot of good things about your past, again, for the umpteenth time, uh, representing a, a, a Boise State. You can, you can do that all darn day. But you still have to tell the story to those television executives. They're not always going to live on uh, what you've done in the past. They're not always going to live on uh, what you're doing currently. A lot of it is, what's in your future? What is in the story that you can continue to write your book? Or is your book just done? Is your book over and uh, you're just waiting for people to leave? That is, uh, that's what you get to television networks. That's how you determine how much money you're going to get to your schools that are part of your conference uh, whenever you get a next television deal. That's why that's so important. And, and honestly, um, that's the biggest question that I think Craig Thompson's got to put together because he is going to have to go and meet with some of those television executives before this CBS and Fox deal runs out, which I think is in another couple of years. I mean, it's still a fairly new deal. Um, but the way rights are turning around and the way conferences are just uh, you know changing what they're doing, I think – you know, he is going to have to go to them and he's going to have to figure out his television deal and he's going to have to resell them. Especially if there's the chance that some of his schools leave. He is going to have to sell once again why his conference is deserving of their money and of their television space. And I don't know if it's that easy for him to do but at the very least i think all he can go by we are the conference of opportunity that's that's i think the the biggest one and in a weird way you can say we're a conference of opportunity to a degree because look at the schools that are rumored to leave you know boise state did technically san diego state's been rumored for a while their stock's rising Got a, got a school in, in Vegas. There are opportunities, and yet, enter the no-spin zone. They're still here. Just send me for, for uh, instead of Craig Thompson to go talk to these execs. I'll get the Mountain West as much money as it needs for its next television deal. We don't need the commish. I'll get everybody $20 million a year more than what they have. Yeah, no, I'm not going to promise that. Hour number three, the sports animals. I'm Josh Pacheco in for the guys. It's ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Thank you so much for allowing us in. As all of our guests, when they appear, they do so courtesy of our hotline. We're watching uh, Reds and Yankees, which is over on our sister station, CBS 1500, 6-6 game, bottom 10. Uh, so uh, if you want to check out the conclusion of that, it's on CBS 1500. John Carlos Stanton, who tied the game 
is the one at the plate. Aaron Judge, remember we mentioned uh, Judge before we went to uh, to break for the top of the hour Sports Center. Judge struck out, so uh, he could not lay down the hammer, uh, the, the the law of the land, off of his bat. But uh, we'll see how things go here uh, over the next few moments. You can text us. Our Zephyr Insurance text line is at 808-296-1420. You can call us at 808-296-1420. And you can send us your tweets. We are at Sports Animals. And uh, you can get to me directly at Josh on the radio. Uh, we've spent a lot of time today on uh, on college football. And uh, you will note that we will spend a lot more time on college football uh, as uh, as we go, especially with conference media days next week. But, uh, you know, one thing that I talked about a few weeks ago, and it is actually happening. We're going to play basketball on an aircraft carrier again. And it's going to happen on November 11th. Uh, ESPN is bringing back the... Uh, their veterans classic. Remember they they had um, they had this veterans event for many many years, and then the pandemic had uh, taken it away for a few. Uh, and and you may you may remember um, they played the two games here. It was supposed to be it wasn't supposed to be at the Stan Sheriff Center. They played them at the Stan Sheriff Center. I think it was part of like a triple header that night too, because they had a UH basketball game, which I think was the Rainbow Classic. Uh, which was played after that, and it was really, really late. And I think the president at the time, President Obama, was at those games. Um, so, you know, it was um, it was cool, but I I haven't liked the idea of playing on the aircraft carrier. We have seen instances where they've tried to play games, and we have had like. Uh, precipitation that makes the court unplayable, and so you you know you, you can't ultimately play the game. Um, you know, guys can get hurt. You know, it's one of the first games of the year outside of your uh, your exhibitions. And while you know, I I generally like the idea of trying something different. I don't usually have a problem with doing something different. We've tried this before, and. I mean, you have to do it in great weather. It can all it can it can be hit and miss. And I I just don't like the idea of playing on aircraft carriers because it seems more of a gimmick than it is really of of the cause of what you're celebrating, which is you know you're honoring uh, you're honoring those in the military. You are honoring those who served. Uh, there are usually better ways to do it. Uh, we've talked about this before. You know, we have Block Arena here, and a few years ago, they had that uh, college basketball event, which was at Block Arena. I think in in more traditional settings, or if you're turning a, an, an aircraft hangar into a, a temporary gym or something that's a little more normal as compared to playing basketball outside, you know, normally I'd say, all right, Cool. I just don't like gimmicks. And, um, you know, I'm I'm all for finding any way we can to honor those who have served, those who are currently serving. Um, I just, I get afraid 
that when you do so in a way that's a little more unconventional, and again, I mean, it's it's been done before, but you do so in a way that's not normal to what you normally do, that it makes it, to me, less about what you're actually trying to celebrate, which is you know, celebrating the military, and it becomes more about, hey, here's something cool that we did to try to get a game on it. They're playing, by the way, on the flight deck of the USS Abraham Lincoln. And uh, they say they're uh, working with Positive Impact. It's an event management company that works on military-based events. They'll work with logistics and on-site assistance. And by the way, the games that were played here, uh, it was supposed to be at Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam. It ended up being at Simpli uh, what is now Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center, Arizona versus Michigan State, and uh, in Indiana versus Kansas. Those are the games uh, that were played. And Michigan State, they played in the first one of these. It was against Yukon, uh, uh, and it was at a, uh, uh, an, air, an air, uh, airline hangar in Germany. It was at uh, Ramstein Air Force Base. And then Gonzaga was part of the 2015 game when they played in Japan against pittsburgh and that was uh i don't think that was that was just more inside and more of a traditional setting at a marine corps base in okinawa um you can honor veterans in in many different ways and you know if i, I don't want to be too negative about it because i think the ultimate goal of the Veterans Classic, the ultimate goal of having uh, this event, which is going to be on ESPN television, by the way, of the Armed Forces Classic, I should call it correctly, is uh, to recognize and tell the stories of those who have served and, you know, kind of mix a basketball game in between. You know, we remember that when these happen, and it sounds, honestly, it, it, it sounds kind of, you know, weird to say, but these are made-for-television events. These are not, oh, you know, it's a, a basketball game on an aircraft carrier. It is a television event that happens to be a basketball game on an aircraft carrier. What do I mean by that? I mean, um, it's a game, but you're going to have lots of storytelling if you watch it on TV because you're probably not going to get the ability to go to it on site and watch it. Um Lots of storytelling, uh, less about the basketball for two teams that are expected to be final four teams when you get to the end of the 2022-2023 season uh, in the final four. That, again, uh, the basketball part is important for them. That's why this game is so important, is that you don't want to be in a position where something happens in a in a freak situation in a game like this and it leads to an injury that changes the outlook of your year and and injuries in these games have happened before it's not new uh i would love to see and you know we have the uh north shore classic coming i would love to see a regular event here at uh joint base pearl harbor hickam I would love to see an event, and it and Hawaii doesn't have to be in it. Um, you know, hey, we could have a, a Maui Jim Maui Invitational 
and a local team does not have to be in it every year because Chaminade no longer is in it every year. They're once uh, they're in once every two years. Although, honestly, it doesn't feel like a Maui Invitational field when Chaminade's not playing. It, it it's a little bit different. Hits a little bit tougher. Um, you just wait for that one year where Chaminade's able to get a win against a uh, a Division One team, and you're like, hey, I was there when Chaminade beat Texas. Like you want that, but. I want to prove that when we have conversations like this, we can have big events and that Hawaii does not have to play in them, even though you'd love for it to be. You don't have to be in the event for it to be a big event. Because the Maui Gym, Maui Invitational is exactly that. It is a big event. It has been made a big event because, um, well... It's had the star power, and it's had the, the backing behind it, and it's had television, and it's in a great week being Thanksgiving week. North Shore Classic, I think, is going to be interesting. I want to see what television looks like for that. Do they have a television partner for it that will put the games on TV? Uh, what kind of backing? Is there a, like a third party that's involved in helping make that happen? Because that's going to be important for that support. But when I hear, you know, you got a, a, a vendor that works with military-style events, that immediately makes me think, you know, in November, what, you know, what other great thing could you have than an event, have four teams, two days, it doesn't have to be big, and you can make it open to the military only if you want to, uh, however you want to do it, or, or open it up to you know, to people on the outside, I don't, I don't know. But you could have that. I think you could have big teams that want to be a part of that, that would want to come here, and um, it would ultimately, or and, and would immediately, I think, lend credibility to another what we would call, I think, long-term, um, successful kind of event. Because that's you know what we're supposed to be looking for, right? Sports is supposed to be a vessel of tourism in Hawaii. And, you know, without having the Pro Bowl, you kind of have to look at what can be the next thing that you can rely on on a yearly basis that can bring you people, that can bring you, I mean, you're going to have people in in hotels, you're going to have people renting cars, you're going to have people going out and getting food all the time. Um, you know, Waikiki, which is always very busy already, was out there last night for dinner. Um, you know, even more people to the restaurants, even more people shopping, even more people going to the ABC stores. Um, but you're waiting for that one new signature event to come back to, um, you know, to prove that sports can be that tourism vessel, um, you know, outside of what we currently have. You can't replace a Pro Bowl, but you have to try. You know what I mean? You're you're not going to get a 50,000-person event again like that. But you have to make inroads on something that you know is guaranteed every year. I'm willing to guarantee if you could get an event at, uh, at Block Arena and you have it billed every year as something that celebrates – the armed forces that celebrates the servicemen and women, and you have a national television partner by you know behind that. I'm willing to believe that you will have at least 
two power conference teams at least in its first couple of years. And then as word gets out about that event, it's on television. You see the meaning behind it. People find out, hey, you know what? They went to this and, and they had a good time. It's like the word of mouth for those that uh, go to the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic. Their hosts treated them well. Um, it was a great you know, week in the islands when they're allowed to come back. What I think it's like a three-year period. You know, they'll positively consider going back because they want to be a part of that kind of event and they were treated really well. That you could ultimately get to an event that I think you may have three power conference teams, maybe a fourth, and a pretty solid group of five or, or mid-major, as we call them in college basketball. Like, that's kind of what you want to build, right? And that's what I think we're kind of missing. The North Shore thing isn't going to do it. Um, but again, we don't know a lot of the background stuff. Like television, we don't know um, what the long-term plan of it is. Heck, I don't even know if this is something that might lead to the return of athletics at BYU-Hawaii. Which, frankly, if we're going to have an event on BYU-Hawaii's campus, then there has to be some kind of a promise that one day the return of the Seasiders, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see the return of BYU-Hawaii. Seasiders are Sea Riders. Sea Riders, right? Wasn't that what it was? Seasiders. I don't know why I was thinking Sea Riders. BYU-Hawaii Seasiders. See, it's been a while uh, since we've seen BYU-Hawaii athletics. Having... Um, Having an event there needs to lead to that uh, that athletics program coming back again, getting them back in the Pac West, getting them back to playing college athletics. Uh, you got to have that again. But I think we have to restart the idea. I know there are attempts. Pacific Rim Cup. Uh, they had they didn't have matches this year, but they did bring a, a, a great clinic. Great job by uh, by that group. Um, you know, we've seen events taking place inside the Hawaii Convention Center. Uh, they've brought Division II basketball down. They've brought some volleyball down. Um, but what can you? What can be done on a bigger scale that can bring television? Because you need eyeballs. We know what's important. Uh, you know, when you have these events, is the value is in the eyeballs outside of Hawaii that watch those events and see the Go Hawaii commercials and while they're watching these games they go on their phone or go on their uh, go on the internet and they book their trips and they end up coming to hawaii in a couple of months or in a year um there are there are ways i think it can be done and i don't know if we've stopped thinking about it i don't know if we've stopped trying but you know, we're, we've got great ideas and great things that I think can be done to uh, to revitalize that and for the community we're in, uh, the sports community, I think elevate the level of our competition, elevate the level of our play by trying to bring in some of these, you know, some, some of these good events, these events that can happen I think are are viable and can draw in more than just a name, can draw in good names uh, for people to enjoy and watch and also uh, uh, to remember, uh, in, in a case of a, like a, vet, a veteran's event, 
remember uh, those who have served our country. I think you can do a lot of that. Hey, if you want to check out our social media at ESPN Honolulu, uh, they have what they call the top 10 flying tens. And uh, uh, Tanner, you, you were bigger on this than I am. I'm not someone who's paid much attention to flying tens. Uh, can you describe to people the flying tens? So, as we all know, UH football is doing their strength and conditioning before uh, fall well, camp. not we all. Some do. Not well, I'll, I'll insinuate it like we all do. So, Tanner, we all seem like we're in the loop. Tanner's plugged in. So, Tanner, of course, we all know Tanner knows because uh, he's plugged in. But anyway, continue. Sorry. Of course, the top, uh, the top 10 flying 10s, I believe, I can only assume because they don't really explain what it is. I think it's the time that they have for their 10 yards, like 10-yard dash in the middle of a 40, I think. I'm just going to assume that because these times are below one second. Mm -hmm. So I can assume 10 yards. So uh, this is the second time they released this list. And by the way, the definition of flying 10s, just because I figured I, I, I had to Google it. Oh, there's a Google definition. There, there is a Google definition for flying 10s. The flying 10 is performed as a build-up sprint. The athlete is a 10 to 30-yard build-up of speed leading into a full-speed sprint, achieving max velocity for 10 yards, which might explain that when you see one of these, uh, it's uh, Chucky Hines, gave it away, uh, 0.90 seconds at a uh, miles per hour of 22.72. Incoming freshman. Yeah, yeah. Look at some of those names on there. Um, Tiger Peterson, who I recall... In high school, I think was playing line. He was well. He was all over the field in in, in high school. I, I remember him. I I believe as a linebacker at one point. Um, but he basically played anywhere they put him. Point nine one miles per hour, twenty two point four seven miles per hour. I've never seen a flying ten done. I've never done a flying ten. Um, we were just going through this list, and uh, the the thing that I looked at initially. And by the way, it's on our social media uh, because, you know, lists, they're visual. Uh, it's on our social media, at ESP at Honolulu. I'm actually looking at it from uh, Cody Cook's Twitter, at Cody Cook. That's Cody with a K. Two quarterbacks there. Uh, Cam Cooper, Armani Eden, with the uh, two fastest quarterback times for the Flying Tens. But you got a bunch of receivers up there. You mentioned Hines. Zion Bowens is up there. I mean, ultimately, what do we what do we read into top ten flying tens uh, for July thirteenth? Now that we've seen that list, what do we read into it? I mean, what do you read into it? One, I'm excited about the speed of a lot of these young wide receivers, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, Chuki Hines. We also have another commit that we never knew about was uh, Kamakana Mahiko from uh, Kaiser. Yeah. So that's really that's what I read into it is a lot of fresh new speed and also a new commit that we never knew about. <laughs> how how did uh, how did Mojico get by us? Where, There's I looked at his like uh, Twitter. There's like nothing on that thing. <laughs> or is it a walk on? I don't know. Try I I don't know. He's on the team. Yeah, there you go. Um, but actually, you pointed something out to me too that I don't I don't want to gloss over is that. You don't recall Jonah Panoke being on this list previously, which uh, maybe tells you a little bit about what he's done for himself from last year 
to this year. And that might be one of the more interesting parts for me is, um, again, we're, we're coming off of a speed list, truly. Uh, but does that potentially lead to uh, maybe a breakout year for Jonah Padoke, um, you know, in this system? We'll see. I, I, I like the strides I think he could be making on a, uh, on, on a leadership scale. And so I kind of want to see how that translates here. Back to that thing they call sports in just a moment. Because it is the sports animals here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. All of our guests, when they appear, they do so courtesy of our hotline. I was triggered by something, though, uh, that Tanner Hayworth, you said during the break. Uh, you said something about local mocos. And I'm going to give you the backstory as to why this triggered me. Uh, I want to shout out uh, Dwayne Kuyper who is uh, one of the voices of the San Francisco Giants. Giants earlier today with a uh, walk-off win over the Arizona Diamondbacks. Josh Rojas nearly lost his mind. Well, no, he did lose his mind, nearly got ejected uh, from that game. But they were um, they were hyping up this uh, travel giveaway, I guess, that they have. Uh, the Giants are doing this. They're sending people on a trip to Hawaii. Uh, I don't remember what the name of it was, but I think it was the fourth or fifth inning. And uh, and Kipe was talking about, I guess, a search they did for, like, the perfect Hawaiian food to eat when you're here. And he said lo the local moco. And uh, I reached out to uh, to their game engineer, Darren Chan, and I said, hey, yeah, good call. Um, with Don't skimp on the gravy. And uh, and Darren Chan said to said back, uh, yeah, we, we've uh, found that picture, and we're all in on the Loco Moco. Now, um, I'm a little triggered by this as well because we went out last night for dinner and uh, family in town and uh, won't say who ordered one, but someone ordered a Loco Moco. And they're like one of those big plates that uh, the gravy goes to the portion of the plate where it's lined and then it comes out. So it's like a bowl of, of, of brown gravy, which you can't complain about. It's a bowl of brown gravy with, a, with everything else inside, which is pretty sweet. And then you came along during the break, Tanner, and said something about what Locomocos, I don't want to steal your words, but should have. Describe to the audience what you said about uh, what you would have in a Locomoco. Look, all I said is, I to me, when I dine on a loco moco, mm -hmm. I like mushrooms. Add it to the brown gravy. Adds a little bit of oomph mm -hmm. to it. It's the perfect thing to help sop up. Sure, you got rice and mushrooms going on, but I think mushrooms make an amazing addition to the loco moco. I understand not a lot of people like mushrooms. I'm a big mushroom guy. My brother's a vegetarian. So he had to be a mushroom guy. Got it. <laughs> but I like having the choice of adding it, personally. Okay. Um, do we need to take this to the text line? Because we still don't have access to the Sports Animals Twitter account, even though we're hosting the Sports Animals radio show. It's crazy to me. Um, I guess we should take this to the text line, the Zephyr Insurance text line. Mushrooms in your local moco. Uh, I, am, I, I am a huge no on that. Partly because I just, I just don't like mushrooms. But um, the best part, for, first off, the best part of the local moco for me, the brown gravy is great. 
But the best part of that is you have to have the right amount of the the runny egg that mixes in. So by the time you're done, I'm a big um, I'm a big portion person, uh, and I don't mean like portion by what's on my plate. It's in like it's portion in bite. So. I am someone that in every bite of food I take, let's say I'm, I'm having um, like something with like a local moco. In in every bite that I take, there's a little bit of rice, there's a little bit of the hamburger patty, and there's a little bit of the egg. And if you know the brown gravy, you would imagine if there's enough of it, you don't have any problem with getting that on your on your bite. So I'm I'm big on 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 that proportion that by the end. Um, in a perfect world, you've proportioned it out well, but at the end, if there is anything left over, you still have a lot of gravy and you still have some of that egg that, that still exists. Um, to me, once you start adding more than the, the normal, and I know some people put onions in it, I, I'm not an, an onion person, but once you go more than just the rice the hamburger patty or whatever you want to put in. You want to put Calbee in your, uh, in your local moco, do it. Uh, you, you want to, I, there's a, there's a place on the, uh, on the big Island. Uh, I'm just going to do it. Cafe 100. I'm always, I'm always, I'm always going to go back to my big Island roots. They have, um, I don't know how many different types of, of local mocos, smoky sausage, local mocos winner, uh, Portuguese sausage, local mocos winner um but we're just we're, we're gonna stay with the tried and true here the more non-liquid that you put in it takes away from the liquid that should go along with the rice and should go along with the gravy and and obviously along with the uh with, with the egg yolk so i i see where you're coming from and i don't want to start fighting words here with mushrooms and local mocos but um uh, I don't want to put more in that takes away from some of the yumminess of the local moco in general. I'm not seeing a lot of fighting. <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of. I'm seeing a lot of. I'm seeing a lot of. Yes, Tanner. Okay, never mind. No, Here's never a mind. fighter. Here's no. a fighter yeah. over here. Uh, Texter from the two two five. Hell yeah, to mushroom brown gravy. Uh, and then there is. Uh, oh, if I don't drop my phone while reading this, Texter from the four nine two. Hard pass on mushrooms. So uh, yeah, there there's a there's a little bit of a, a part in the pun. I think uh, there's, some a, there's a little bit of beef in here. Uh, <laughs> I think some people Sorry. like me. I like mushroom brown gravy more than other people, mm-hmm. and there's some people that you know like it plain. Yeah, another texter says prime rib local moco. Man, um, do I want to put prime rib in a local moco, or do I want to keep prime rib on the side? So the best prime rib I've ever had, never touched by anything else except for the proportion of rice I put on my fork with the prime rib when I take the, the right amount of slice of it. I don't, I don't know if I could put prime rib with gravy and, 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 and egg and rice. I don't know that I could do that to the prime rib. But it sounds so good. I can't, I can't argue that. Uh, one more. This is from, uh, from Sidelines Hawaii. Uh, it says, sounds good. But then I'm thinking I'm eating cream of mushroom hamburger. <laughs> uh, send your texts into us. I, I guess we're uh, 
we're not entirely even, but we're not we're not all entirely on board the mushrooms in your local Moco Express. Uh, and if that helps you in figuring out what you're going to have for dinner tonight, then uh, well, thank well, you're welcome. That's uh, that's what we're here for. This is also what happens. <laughs> this is also what happens when uh, uh, you know we get close to dinner time. We both have, well, you've been here earlier than I have. You've been here for uh, off and on about twelve hours. Uh, I've been here off and on for about eleven. So, well, not off and on. I've been here pretty much throughout. The the hangry phase starts to set in, and then all of a sudden the food stuff just starts to fly. Uh, not physically fly, but uh, as we've seen in this segment, Keegan Ota, who is skipping work at the moment, says uh, no mushrooms. Ruins the gravy, LOL. That's why you've heard Kevin Winter on SportsCenter today uh, instead of Keegan Ota because uh, he is off. He's not. He's not skipping work. I'm not. Not gonna. Not gonna shame the name that is. Uh, that is Keegan Ota because he did do uh, the midday show today with Hunter Hughes. He just d- decided to uh, take on some esports stuff this afternoon, and good for him. But he is. <laughs> he is listening in, and now he's texting me in all caps. Uh, he is now one upset coworker, apparently. There is some developing news from the NBA just coming down from the Athletic. We'll get to it in a moment as uh, we give you our final thought on the show today. You've heard Tanner Hayworth's voice here as we've talked about food. I'm Josh Pacheco. Um, eating food soon. It is the Sports Animals here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and uh, 14.20 a.m. Quickly on uh, just kind of wrapping up here on what we were talking about earlier. Mushrooms in a local moco. Inbounds or out of bounds. Uh, Tanner says it'd be great. Uh, I'm a I'm a no, and it's been mixed. It's been a uh, it's been a mixed mixed bag results on that, uh, which has led to just people telling us what their favorite local mocos are, uh, which uh, was not expecting, uh, including one texter from the 769 who uh, says, uh, Uptown Local Moco Filet Mignon. Won't lie, uh, when I first read it, uh, I saw Minion, and I thought of the movie. Um, but that is a that is an upscale-sounding uh, Local Moco. Uh, Leroy, I think Portability Local Moco could be good. I mean, they're portable already if they're the right size. So I don't, I don't think he's meaning portability. I'm thinking he's like, I think he means like portobello. Like I think, uh, I think spell check got him. And uh, one more texture from the three, four, three. This is from Mark out in Moana Valley. How's it going, Mark? Local moco for those who never have tried. It's okay. He said, uh, but for me, it's Zippy's garlic miso chicken plate. I got to tell Dwayne Kuyper about it on the giants Twitter feed. Yeah, go ahead and tell them. Uh, I think uh, I think Dwayne will take any food advice you could possibly get. I don't know, though, and we'll get to the phones here in a second at, at 808-296-1420. I don't know if Dwayne's traveling, though. Um, he's undergone some health issues recently. I know he's cut back a lot on his schedule. So I know a lot of the road trips now, uh, Kruk and Kipe aren't doing a lot of those games. They're staying home. So you're hearing a lot uh, from some of the new guys uh, – like the Joe Rizzo's of the world, uh, who I think does AAA, I think for San Jose, hearing more of Randy Wynn, etc. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think Kuiper's traveling 
So even if he wanted to, I don't think he would come by and try a, a local mocha or garlic miso chicken because I think he's still uh, uh, kind of going through some of the health things that, that he's dealing with. Uh, you can text us, 808-296-1420. Is there Zephyr Insurance text line? You can call us as well. Uh, you can just tell me uh, what he's saying. I guess this is someone who's not on the phone but wants to relay something, Tanner. He was saying on from Hilo, uh -huh. he said he had memories of playing baseball tournaments at Walter Victor, getting Locomocos afterwards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't drive more than two to three minutes away and uh, and find a place that had a Locomoco. I mean, it was everywhere. Um, like I said, we had one last night. I mean, that, that thing was full. It was it was basically, and I'm not complaining, it was, uh, it was brown gravy with all the components inside. It, and it, it looked uh, tremendous, but no mushrooms. And that's, uh, that's the most important thing. All right, the developing news from the NBA is where our final thought turns today. Um, it now looks like there is some movement between the New York Knicks and the Utah Jazz on a potential Donovan Mitchell trade, first reported by Shams Charania and Tony Jones from The Athletic. Uh, they say... New York has Utah's focus currently among interested teams. But as, as Tony Jones, and he is more of the Utah beat writer guy as compared to anybody else, um, it looks like the Knicks are uh, the team. And, and others have said it, I think, even before uh, before yesterday's news came out. If there were to be any team that would make some kind of run at a player like Donovan Mitchell, if not just Donovan Mitchell uh, in general, that the Knicks would be that team. They have eight future first-round picks. They have a lot of young talent. They're a team that I, I'd like to believe uh, I'd like to believe is on the rise. I don't I don't trust though. And uh a, a, a trade for Donovan Mitchell would be a game changer. I mean, you'd probably have to give up R.J. Barrett, I think. You'd, you'd have to get rid of a lot of those picks. You've got to make the valuation of that trade match up. In the long run, uh, it's not like Donovan Mitchell. We have to make the comparison sometimes when we see guys who uh, are asking for trades or guys who are running toward the end of their contracts. Donovan Mitchell's 25. We're reminded that someone who is in a tremendous spot in his career, um, his valuation for what he's going to make later is going to be bonkers. There is no way if you are the Knicks that you walk out of any conversation without Donovan Mitchell. You know, this is very different than any team trying to make a trade for Kevin Durant. You know, uh, Age is important in this conversation, and, and I'll tell you why. You know, Kevin Durant's 33. Uh, he is dealing with some injuries. He is, I think, toward the back part of his prime. And Kevin Durant is not someone that I think can win on his own. Because of those reasons, and because he is so expensive, um, it is not, I think, a, a viable move to make to uh, to make a trade for Kevin Durant uh, unless you've got some other things on the side. And, you know, if you're a team like New York, what is that going to get you? Pride. You won the back page. 
you you took someone away from Brooklyn. Is it gonna is it gonna bring you a championship? No, probably not. Um, but if you can land Mitchell at twenty five, whether you land, you know, whether you've got someone else along with him, I don't know the financials. I mean, we're kind of reacting right now to uh, to the news, but if you can keep some of that young foundation around him, put some beef up front. The Knicks are immediately a top five, maybe top six Eastern Conference team and a team that should not spend any time near the play-in tournament unless some kind of injury happens. And I and I know I see it on the text line. In fact, uh, Leroy says, wait and see on the Knicks. Uh, dysfunctional organization. Yeah, I know. Uh, but even the most dysfunctional organizations still win every once in a while and they still land the right move. They still make the right move. The Knicks haven't been that bad as of late outside of some of the stuff uh, off the court with James Dolan. Uh, you cannot walk out of any conversation and and walk away empty-handed. This is the potential deal of the century, I think, for New York. And if you can land that, and no matter what you have to give up, you are now contending to be a, a playoff team and and maybe an Eastern Conference for now, an Eastern Conference semi, Eastern Conference championship contending type of team. It's a bummer because it also means that it is the end of what was the fun jazz where Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell as weird of a relationship and at times as well not existent of a relationship as it was uh with a head coach that don't know that many people thought would be as successful as he was in Quinn Snyder that was a great run um you like to see great runs from teams like that that in that sport don't have a ton of business being near the top of that sport competing with some of the best in that sport when you know it's a players driven league and everybody's wanting to go to LA and everybody's wanting to go to Brooklyn, and everybody's wanting to go to San Francisco. Utah's kind of an afterthought. Um, and it's, you know, what this is ultimately going to be is it's going to be a, a, the downfall of another one of those cities that competed in now the player-driven league that will no longer find itself competing for a chance to be that great championship team. They're going to fall back by the wayside and uh, and watch the bigger names and the brighter lights in the bigger cities, you know, keep, you know, competing for titles. It's a bummer. Uh, a lot of us, I think, have very good memories of the Utahs of the past. Hornacek, Stockton, Malone. Don't forget Coach Jerry Sloan, who spent a long time there. And, of course, as the game got younger, um, he just could not stay around. But one of the best to do it in, in Jerry Sloan. It means we say goodbye to the Jazz. It was great to know you. It was great to watch a competitive team in Utah. But now we will see the balance of power again shift away from those teams and shift back to the even bigger markets. And the other dynamic to it, the Eastern Conference potentially gets better. And the Eastern Conference at one point in time was awful. The Eastern Conference becomes potentially, if this move is made, the best conference in the NBA. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. This is the Sports Animals. I'm Josh Pacheco. You're listening to ESPN Honolulu.